Welcome to Bible Study, everybody. Glad you're here. It's good to be back after a week off. Did you miss me? Yes. Yes, okay. I missed all of you, too. I almost did one just for fun, but decided not to. So, I saved it up just for you, and we're going to get going tonight with some prayer. So, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for uh, your love for us, and I just want to yeah, just say thanks for loving us, for caring for us, for providing for us, for protecting us, for sending us peace and joy and happiness. Thanks, God, that you care about us and that you're concerned with our lives. We ask you tonight that we would respond to you. We ask you to respond to your word. I pray that we would have space in our hearts, space in our minds for you to fill tonight with truth. And I ask you that our minds wouldn't be made up already but that we'd be open to what you may want to say maybe something different tonight maybe something that we haven't heard or considered and i ask you god that we'd be open to all that you want to do all that you want to say so god lead us god speak to us god i pray that uh, we would just allow you and your holy spirit to teach us tonight uh, we ask that we would be ready to receive ready to learn if we ask it in jesus name amen Amen. All right, we're going to open up to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And as we do that, we have uh, some messages over SpeakPipe that we received over the last couple of weeks. Uh, in fact, we received three. Uh, one message was more of a housekeeping type thing where uh, someone who was anonymous on SpeakPipe called in and told us that some of our podcasts weren't uh, posting onto one of the services that we use. And so we did look into that, and that should be all set and corrected. So hopefully that is. If not, leave us another message, anonymous one, and uh, we will again attempt to uh, fix that. So thank you for making us aware of that, and thank you for uh, calling and, and letting us know that we needed to work on something. Our second is from our friends that are halfway around the world. Uh, they're listening to the podcast. Uh, they get together as a small group and listen to the podcast. So I'm just going to play that. Hello, everyone. It's Chris here. I just want to say thank you for the message. It was really good. And uh, I'm excited to see everyone. I hope you're ready for all this energy. Hey everyone, why am I waving? Um, <laughs> uh, it's really helpful to listen from over here in China. Stop waving. I can't wait to see all you guys. We have Thursday night Bible study. Hello everyone, I'm Susan. She went too! <laughs> I'm waving. Yeah, I learned a lot from this Bible study. Thank you very much. Um, equipped, I know that despite the shame, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yay. Cool. All right. So uh, that came to us as, as they said, that came from China. And so we're excited that they're getting together and listening to what we're doing there. Thank you for calling that in and for encouraging us with that. We also received a, another message just today. Uh, this uh, comes to us from Northern Ireland. And so we want to take a few moments, and this is a question for us. Hey, it's Tim. I have a question. 
about temptation. James 1, 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and, is, and enticed by his own desire. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So my question is, is Jesus being God, and James says God cannot be tempted with evil, how does that work? And I have an inkling it may have to do with Jesus emptying himself of some of his godly attributes when he became a man. And if you could elaborate how to reconcile those two verses, that would be fabulous. And I will see you guys in one week. Bye. All right. So that was Tim from Northern Ireland. Thank you, Tim, for the question. Uh, in order to answer that, I'm going to uh, not dig too deeply just because we're limited in time, but... I do want to speak to you about a specific Christology uh, that we hold to as a church. Uh, it's part of our foundational teachings, and as part of that Christology, meaning the study of Christ and understanding who he is, uh, we believe that uh, Jesus did empty himself. Uh, when, uh, If you go back to the book, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's no dispute of that. Uh, verse 14 of that same chapter says, And the Word became flesh. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what you have there is a brief story of the incarnation. In other words, you've got the Word who was with God and who was God. So there's no disputing that. The Word is God. The Word became flesh. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's speaking of Jesus. And so the word became flesh. And that word became is the same word we would use for transition. Or to, it's the same metamorphosis. the same word that's used uh, in the Greek to describe the, when, how a butterfly is formed. And, and how it, it changes when the, that little worm thing is cocooned. And there's a metamorphosis that takes place within that cocoon. And then it emerges as a butterfly. So it's the same essence, but there's something different about it. And it, it looks different. The little worm is the little worm. The butterfly is the butterfly. And so with Jesus, there was a transition that took place. Uh, there, again, there's no argument that the word was with God, the word was God. Uh, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something transitioned when he became flesh. And in Philippians, it gives us a little bit of insight as to what happened. And it's called the kenosis theory. And what the kenosis theory talks about is Jesus, that when the word transitioned into flesh, that he emptied himself of, it doesn't say what, but he emptied himself of, we can begin to list some things off. What are the main attributes of God? Main attributes of God are omnipresent, omni. Okay, omniscient and omnipotent. Okay, so, so if you look at the life of Jesus and just at what he said and you look practically at uh, what was going on, 
You start with an easy one, omnipresence. Omnipresence means you're everywhere all the time. Well, Jesus had to travel between towns. He walked physically between towns. He wasn't everywhere all the time. He physically had a body, and he lived in that body, and so he was wherever he was. So there is, there's not a, an omnipresence about him. So there's an attribute that he emptied himself of. He was in one place at one time. Uh, there's uh, omniscience. Uh, there's a verse in, in the, the Gospels that talks about Jesus, and, and Jesus says, well, it's not for us to know this or that. Only the Father knows. The Son does not know. Well, omniscience means that you know everything. So if Jesus in the gospel admits that he doesn't know something, that means that he can't be omniscient. So he wasn't omniscient. So he emptied himself of that. Omnipotent. You look at some of uh, the, the idea of where would we get the idea he would be omnipotent. Well, we could look at the miracles, but he said that you've seen the miracles that I've done, you'll do even greater. Uh, there was one man who he was healing, that he was bringing healing to that couldn't see and after he was done bringing healing to him, the guy looked around and said, oh, can you see all right? And he said, oh, I, I see things, but they're blurry. They're like trees. People are like trees. It's like, all right. And he gave it another shot, and then the guy could see perfectly. All right, so what I want you to hear from this is that there's nothing about the things that Jesus did that would indicate that that's omnipotence. In other words, the miracles he did in the New Testament, they did in the Old Testament. Raising people from the dead, they were able to do that. That whole idea of, of the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings, all those things, is that others could do that. You think about, okay, well, walking on water. Well, they made an axe head float in the Old Testament. Right? You're starting to understand what I'm saying, that, that there's nothing about that. And so uh, we don't really have any, any reason to, to proclaim him as omnipotent. And so those are the four major um, attributes of God, the, the, the three. The fourth would be holiness. And, and here's kind of the, the issue with this. And Tim read the verse about this in that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. God can't be tempted because God can't sin. God can't sin. Uh, in other words, if he does something, then it's not sin. So it's impossible. But Jesus could be tempted. And if Jesus could be tempted, that means that he could sin. You can't be tempted to do something you can't do. Like, in other words, I, I'm, I'm not tempted, and I've used these ridiculous illustrations before, I'm not tempted to jump to the moon because I can't do it. It's impossible. So there's no temptation to that. There's no temptation to do lots of things that I can't do. But there is temptation to do things that I can do that are readily available to me, that's, what, that's where we get tempted. See, that's, that's how that works. So Jesus, when it talks about him being tempted, it, he could do that. In other words, he could have chosen to sin. If the fact that he could make that decision shows that he wasn't, he wasn't carrying that holiness of God. Instead, he was choosing not to sin. So I'm not trying to diminish Jesus at all. What I'm trying to do is really look at Jesus as a human, look at Jesus as someone who made better decisions, look at Jesus who was anointed of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 describes him, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. We're anointed of the Holy Spirit. 
God was with him. Well, God's with us. And so what that does for us is it creates someone that is completely relatable. It also creates someone that is completely an example of who we can be. If Jesus did the things he did because he was God, we have no hope of that. We can't be God. We will never be God. And we can never do those things that he did if he did them because he was God. But if he did those things because he was anointed of the Holy Spirit, well, we're anointed of the Holy Spirit, and we have hope. We can do those things. Miracles, signs, wonders, you've seen the things I've done, you'll do even greater. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because he, he did those things because he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're anointed of the Holy Spirit. We'll do even greater. Okay, I can believe that. And so we, we look at that and we say, okay, he's human. That's why he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That's why he has gone through the temptation process that we go through. He feels for us. He understands what it is. And because he feels for us and because he understands what it is, then he can have mercy and grace and empathy and sympathy toward us. All important things. And so he becomes the perfect advocate. He becomes the perfect mediator. He becomes the perfect example. He becomes the one who made the better decision. He is, by every sense of the word, the second Adam, who had the choice but didn't make the bad one. He made the right one. So, to me, it, it magnifies who he is. To me, because I'm his brother. He's my brother. And, and, and his life makes a lot more sense to me now. So, uh, and then with the rest of the story, we know there's the death, the resurrection of Jesus. You go all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, and you see Jesus again. And this time, he's riding a horse and he's coming down to the earth in order to do battle and to defeat the, the enemy. And it describes him a little bit, and it has something written on, his, written on him. It, it describes him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but there's something written on his thigh. It says, Word of God. You see? See, he transitioned from the Word to Jesus. And he'll always be Jesus, but there was a transition that took place at the death and resurrection of Christ where he took upon himself the attributes of the word again. So is he omniscient now? Yeah. Omnipresent? Sure. That's why we can all pray to him. He lives in all our hearts. How? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, and he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, and he's holy. He transitioned back. But it's important we understand the transition that took place that made him a human. And so, Tim, that, the, to me, that answers the question. I hope it answers your question. But it answers the question that, yeah, God can't be tempted with evil. He, he can't sin. But Jesus, who transitioned to flesh, could have. And therefore could be tempted and can feel our infirmities and understands us better. And then he transitioned back again, and so all is right. All righty. So thanks for that question, Tim. Hopefully that will help out. If not, you can ask me again yourself when I see you. Thank you. Colossians 1.27. Love it. Colossians 1.27. Would someone please read that when you get to it? 
If you'd like to leave us a message, uh, SpeakPipe, uh, it's available at www.speakpipe, it's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study, which is all one word, just smush it together, Monday Night Bible Study, and you'll find a button there, you toggle that button, and you leave us a voicemail, and we'll be happy to answer it, or play it. Comment, questions, anything like that. Colossians 127, volunteer please. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, kind of an interesting verse. Uh, I, normally, when I'm looking at verses, I, I start off with, okay, what did God speak to me? So that's what I'm going to really share with you tonight. And then I go into and I start looking at, well, what do other people think this verse talks about? And this verse was awesome as I looked through what other people throughout history thought it talked about because no one agreed. And I mean, it was just whatever you think. And so I, I, I looked, I said, okay, is there a common theme here? Because lots of times there's a common theme, something like that. Nope, nope. People just decided, okay, it means this. This guy decided it meant that. That guy over there decided it meant that. So I'm just sticking to what God spoke to me when I opened it up and I read it. All right, because I, I want to take a few minutes and look at this and, and say there's a couple things about this verse that, that stood out to me. The first thing is that, that if you look at the context of the verse, religious people cannot, cannot understand what this means. They can't. And why do I say that? Well, Paul is saying that. I'm not saying that. Paul's saying that. That Jesus made known and continues to make known among people that believe in him, among people that believe, people of faith, religious people. He makes known this mystery. He makes known this truth for them. But they don't understand it. And that's why I look through like commentaries and I look through people that interpret the scriptures and none of them could agree on it. Why? Because they don't understand it. That's the problem. The problem is, is that what is being said here, the problem is that what Jesus is revealing is contrary to the way that our minds sometimes believe or think that the universe should be. Especially if we come from a religious background. If you come from a religious background, you have a specific paradigm of how you see the world. You have been brought up into it. You have been brainwashed into it. It has been spoken over you time and time again. You have read books that have confirmed it. You probably went through a Sunday school curriculum that spoke it over and over again to you. And, and you sat under guys that were preaching the same material, that were saying exactly the same thing, that solidified that worldview on you, in you, and through you. Just saying. So, you just are who you are, okay? Well, that's where we come from. And of course, you know, those of you that know me, my grandfather, he pastored a church. And so, I, they dragged me out to church when I was little. So I had plenty of opportunity to get brainwashed for that. I had the Sunday school curriculum. I had the perfect attendance pin for the Sunday school with the little bars underneath it. Because after two year, one year you get a bar, two years, three years, five years, I had bars underneath my perfect attendance at Sunday school pin. Yeah, I did. And they had the white pin or the red pin, depending on when you got there. You know how old you were and how long you've been there, because you had the white one or the red one. Now, I heard they got blue ones in, but I wasn't around for that one. So I'm letting that go. 
But I was too brought up in a certain mindset, in a certain way of seeing the world, in a certain way of seeing God. However, I fell away plenty soon after that and was wandering the desert of faith for quite a while. And when I came back around, I was eager, I was hungry for something that made sense. And so, leaving behind a lot of that paradigm, leaving behind a lot of that worldview, I was able to take hold of some things that actually made sense to me and, and begin to explore that. And so, God is choosing to make known. And that word choosing is that it's, he's willing it. In other words, it is his for his own pleasure. And when Paul describes things as glorious riches, because he does that a few times in the New Testament, like Romans 2, 4 is another spot where he does that. But he describes things as glorious riches. What, what that means is to him is that it's in abundance. And so when you hear that and his glorious riches, he's talking about abundance. Like more than enough, not scraping by, lots, lots of abundance. Not, not running out, not worrying about running out, not being scared there's not enough. Not being scared there won't be enough to get around or go around or whatever it is. And so he, he wants to make known a mystery. And what the mystery had to do with, and this is why the religious people couldn't understand it, the mystery had to do with non-religious people. Because, see, the big mystery that Jesus was revealing, and he kept revealing, and he wanted people to understand, his people to understand, that's what he was going for, is that he had a message, and he had a word about people that weren't believers. He had a word about people that weren't like the religious people. They, they didn't do the things the religious people did. In fact, the things that they did were disgusting to the religious people. But he had a word for them. He had a word for those people that didn't fit in. A word for those people that, that had been looked down upon and been called names their whole lives by the religious people. Religious people called them dogs. They considered them unclean. They considered them a people that they couldn't associate with or have any kind of relationship with or anything. They were told to stay away from them. That they were dirty and that they were wrong and that they were a people that would bring them down and they were afraid of them in some ways superior to, better than. We're better than you, and we know it. They knew it. And yet, that was the mystery that we're going to look at. That's what he's talking about here. He's making known. In other words, for his own pleasure, he is making known in abundance an idea here about a people and for a people and to a people that the religious people thought were dirty and wrong and untouchable. And they've never understood it. Ever. Never, ever, ever. Never. Never. No. They've never understood it. I remember when we first started the church, we'd been gone for a little while, and I had uh, done something weird on a Sunday. We were doing a parable. I wrote a parable. <laughs> and so we broke up into small groups, and we were discussing this parable, and, and there were some Bible verses and stuff, and then ministering to each other. But that Sunday, that particular Sunday, 
a pastor showed up with his family where I used to go to his church and I would preach at his church. And so the only context the guy ever knew me in two contexts, one, I was at his church preaching, like doing some kind of like revival services or something, or two, I, was, I, I did a prophetic presbytery that I sat on at his church a couple of times. And so I was either prophesying over people or I was up there and speaking loudly and preaching and then calling people out and ministering over them. That was the only two contexts he ever saw me in. So he shows up here, and I'm doing a parable. A parable. We're talking about a story. I wrote a story. I wrote a story. And we're all broken up into groups, and we're reading the story, and we're talking about it and ministering to each other. And that was the first thing he said. He's like, I was really hoping to hear you preach today. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> Good to see you too. Yeah. And, and the second thing is that there was somebody that Sunday, I think it was that Sunday, they were in church, and there was a cross-dresser here at the time, and the person happened to be cross-dressing. And so the next comment that I got after, I was really hoping to hear you preach, the guy said to me, he's like, hey, is that a, is that a guy over there? It was obviously a guy. He's not a good cross-dresser. <laughs> I mean, he was like, he probably got up like a you know, half hour before the service, he went to bed at five in the morning or something. You know, no shower, no shave, stubble. He's a terrible crossdresser, all right? Like, yeah, that's a dude. And, and the guy looked at me totally, I mean, and he pastored a pretty big church, right? He totally looked at me and he said, you let them in church like that? And I looked at him like, what am I supposed to do? What do you mean? And it occurred to me that I'd been gone just long enough to forget they don't get it. They don't get it. That there's a mystery that's been revealed. There's something that has been revealed that Jesus was revealing in abundance to people. And the, and the abundance, this mystery that's being revealed was that he has a message and he has a plan and he has a purpose for people not like you. All right? Not like you. And, and because of that, and because that it's so hard, people just don't understand it. And that's why churches get filled up with people like you. All right? That's why we fill up churches with people like us, because we don't get it. And I want us to get it. I really do. I want us to get it. I want us to understand that this mystery, I want us to understand that this revelation that, that God has given, the mystery of the good news. Well, the mystery of the good news and, and what, that it, what it is, is that we are fellow heirs. With who? Well, with Jesus, sure. But with who else? People not like us. And we're still fellow heirs with those people. And they may not look like us, and they may not sound like us, and they may not do the things that we do or say the things that we say. They may not know what to do when, when something happens in church. If somebody says, God is good, they don't know to say all the time. They don't know. They just look at you like, yeah, okay. And you notice, they're, they're like, you ever notice that when we have a conference and somebody new comes in for the conference, they start pulling the Christian stuff on us and nobody knows what they're doing? 
You're so like, huh? Yeah. All right. That's what happens. I mean, it does almost every time. People just looking at them. I'm thinking, I, and I try to warn people. Like when they come here to speak, it's like, yeah, don't don't do that. They don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And because there's a couple of things I have to warn people of. One is that we don't know all those things. And the second thing is that we're a bunch of professional listeners, even before we had phones. All right, we were just professional. In other words, guys would get up there and they'd start screaming and hollering and jumping around. And everybody's sitting like, right on, yeah. <laughs> but not responding correctly with the amens and the praise the Lords and everything that we're supposed to respond with. I'm like, they're with you, just, just keep going. All right, they, they, don't, they don't respond that way, but they're listening. So just keep going. Don't get disappointed. Don't get discouraged by them. That's just how we are. It's okay. We're not dead or asleep. And, and I mean, some people are on their phones, but whatever. They're listening. What's that? And yeah, and and I let them know that this is what we move in, and this is what we do, and this is who we are, and this blah blah blah. Well, you know, and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. And the ones that look confused up front all the time, trying to get you to say amen, didn't listen. <laughs> Just didn't listen. I gave it a shot, and they didn't listen. That's it. I don't even feel bad when that happens. <laughs> And so we're fellow heirs with people not like us. We're fellow heirs with Jesus. We're fellow heirs with people that, that do things differently than us, that look differently than us, that, that dress differently and respond differently, and that do a bunch of stuff that's different than us. Well, that, we're still fellow heirs with them. There's a mystery to that. There's a mystery how people that come from different parts of the world, that come from different languages and cultures, and there's a mystery about how we're all going to get along, and we're all fellow heirs. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same body. You know, how do we practice that, though? What we need to do to practice that, I mean, you're not worried about the guy over in, you know, in sub-Indonesia or somewhere right this second, okay? We'll get together in heaven with them. And the mystery, more of the mystery will be revealed. But where this is really playing out right now is kind of is in our daily lives. And is who we work with and the people that are around us and the people that we have, so whatever the casual relationships that we have around us. That's where this plays out. That we begin to see people differently in that Jesus died for that person. Who? That person you don't like, that's who. That person who makes fun of you. That person that's mean to you. That person that calls you names. That person that does whatever they do into your life. That he died for them. And you may not want to think of that. and You may not want to consider that. But he's not judging between the two of you. You're right, they're wrong. He doesn't get into that. He died for them. And so, and so somehow, some way, in our hearts and our minds, we need to begin to let that expand in us. That mystery needs to be not so much a mystery anymore. The only mystery part of it is how he does it and how he did it. But the fact that Jesus lives in my heart and lives in your heart, that's what he does. And, and, and what we need to do is begin to understand that for what it is. That he died for me, he died for you. He loves me while well, he loves you. And he loves that guy over there and that girl and that weirdo and whoever else we meet. He loves them all. 
And then whether or not they're accepting that, whether or not that they're, they're, they're embracing that, or they're running away from it, or they're angry about it. I can't speak to their reaction to it. I just know that he loves them. I just know that he died for them. And I also know that if they choose one day, if they say, all right, I want to know Jesus, and they come into a relationship with him, wow, then we're related. And so that person that doesn't like you right now, you may be related to them in the not-so-distant future. That person that makes fun of you, you may be related. You may have more in common with them than you think in the not-so-distant future. You don't know. I don't know. And so in the sense of that, maybe there is a little bit of a mystery because we don't know how it's going to happen or what's going to happen or who it's going to happen to. But I believe our hearts need to be right about it. I really do believe this. If we're going to let God use us in the capacity he wants to in those people's lives. And so whether or not we understand how it's going to happen, well, whatever. Or when it's going to happen, I don't know. If they're going to ever turn around, I can't even answer that. But you know what? I want to be open. I want to be ready. And I want to be used in what God has for me. You know, Peter had a hard time with this, with the Gentiles. He had a really hard time accepting this mystery. Because he came from the religious people. And those people weren't like him. They weren't, at least not in his mind. And so he obeyed God and he did what God told him, but then he still was confused about it. God sent him a vision and said, here, kill and eat. Don't ever say anything that I say is clean is unclean. Don't do that. I mean, he confirmed it. He sent word. He confirmed it. He did all these things, and yet he still struggled with it because our ideas and our mindsets are strong in us. Our prejudices are strong in us. The things that, that we're holding on to are strong in us. Because that's what we see and, and that's what we've accepted and that's just what we've thought. Well, some of those things need to change. If we're going to really put ourselves in a position that God, I believe, wants us in. Us. Us in. Because I do believe he wants us in that position. To receive. To hear to bring people in, to be fellow heirs of people that aren't like us. So Christ is in me, and he's in you. And I, and I want you to understand that that's hidden. There'll be a part that's not hidden, but I want you to understand Christ in you is a hidden thing. He's just in you, and he's in me. And sometimes the Jesus in me don't you hate that saying? <laughs> I just wanted to say it real quick. Yeah. But, but he's in me, and he's in you. How do I know he's in you? Well, I guess I'll take your word for it, right? I mean, it's hidden. My relationship with you is going to be based on that, though. If I'm going to have a true relationship with you, it's because there's Jesus in me, and Jesus is in you. That's how relationship really is formed. Because he mediates that. He's between us. He's with us. He's in us. So, so the, the idea is Christ is in me. And, and the other way that's translated is Christ is among us. And I can go with both. I can go with both those things. But the big idea here, he's in me, he's in you. And so by being in me and in you, he's among us, right? Yeah. 
And that's what creates the opportunity for real, honest relationship. Okay, someone look up 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all questions, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. All right, didn't I just tell that story? All right, I just told that story, and I emphasized something a little bit different to it, but it's really the same thing. The mystery here is this, and, and that's what Timothy's talking about. The mystery of all this is that, that Jesus, he dwells in our hearts by faith. But he not only dwells in my heart by faith, he dwells in your heart by faith. And he also dwells in people's hearts by faith that we don't even know, or that we've never seen before. There's people in whose hearts he dwells that it's hidden from us, and we don't know that, at least not right this second. And what, the, what Paul was saying here, and what he was saying Jesus is revealing here, is that Jesus was dwelling in the hearts of some Gentiles, too. And the religious people, they could not receive that. The house of Cornelius, those people, Jesus was dwelling in their hearts. In fact, when Peter came... And, and he prayed over them. They received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues just like the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. And it was only then that Peter said, well, well, how can we deny the waters of baptism? God's put his seal of approval on these people. And they, they took them out and they were baptized. Of course, when he was asked about it later, he, he made something up or he said something that wasn't true about it. Because he couldn't quite get his hand on it. He couldn't quite get his head around the fact that that Jesus dwells in me and Jesus dwells in Cornelius. And yet he did. Jesus was dwelling among them. Even when Peter was there in that house, Jesus was dwelling among them, that, that they were too filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was dwelling among them. Even Peter himself couldn't deny the fact they should be baptized in water. Why? Because it was clear in the moment, in the moment the mystery was revealed and Jesus was in them and Jesus was in me. And he was able to hold on to it for that moment. And then a week later or a month later, whenever it was, he couldn't hold on to it anymore. Because religion is strong. And then some of you are thinking, well, why was that so hard? Because it was contrary to what he believed and contrary to the way he was brought up. That's why. And you struggle with stuff too, and so you should understand that. Because you were brought up a certain way. And you were taught to believe something a certain way. And you struggle with that. And you should understand that's what's going on with him. But within this truth, within the truth that Jesus is revealing, the truth that Peter got that day, the truth that happened in the house of Cornelius, the truth that Paul was speaking to this, this church at Colossae, it is full of glory. That truth is full of glory. And that's where we're getting to with this. That if we can take hold of the truth, if we can begin to take hold of the mystery that's being spoken of here, it is full of glory as it's revealed in our hearts and in our lives. In other words, if we live it, if we accept it, if we put it to work in our hearts and our lives, it is full of glory. Meaning we're full of glory. 
but only then. In and of itself, it's full of glory, but we don't benefit from that until it becomes real in us. In and of itself, there's glory in all that's being said. There's glory in the mystery. There's glory in the word that's being preached. But we don't recognize or we don't benefit from that glory until it is unpacked in us and we choose to dwell in that truth. And there's a lot of things like that. A lot of things with God. His glory, when we allow the truth of who he is, the truth of his word. We allow what God has said, we allow what God has spoken to get unpacked in us, and we actually, actually live it. Glory is unleashed. But that's where it's unleashed. So the mystery of Christ is himself who was manifest. And by that I mean this. He produces a unity with himself. In other words, we, we're unified with him, but also through that we're unified with each other. Why? Jesus in me, Jesus in you. Jesus in that person and that person is a unification that takes place. See, we don't like that. We don't mind being unified with Jesus. We don't like being unified with each other. We talk about it that we like it, but when it comes to actually living together, we're not so good at that. Oh, we need our space. All these people around all the time. How do you stand that? We're going to have an eternity of that. <laughs> no, really. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. I understand exactly why you'd ask me that. But we literally are going to have an eternity of that. And so I, I'm not sure that we're not just getting set up for it now. I believe we are. Jesus in me, Jesus in you, I'm going to be unified with him. And who else am I unified? With everybody else. All right? So there's a unification taking place between me and Jesus, but also between me and you. And so all of that is drawing us. All of that is connecting us. All of that is making us one. And so at the end of the passage, what we read there, it says that he is, make, he is my hope. Of glory. I mean, in Jesus. He's our hope of glory. He's manifested. And as he's the glory that's manifested. And I want you to understand that this truth is something that animated Paul's life. You look at Paul, he's the apostle. Well, he's the apostle. Well, what does Paul get at the end? Nothing, I don't think. He doesn't get a gate at the New Jerusalem. The other guy did. Who got, he got his apostleship by throwing some dice or something, right? He gets a gate. Why doesn't Paul get a gate? Well, he doesn't get a gate. Everybody thinks Paul gets something. Well, Paul was born out of time, and he described himself that way. He doesn't get anything like that. New Jerusalem? No. No. Not that we know of. All right? He, he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't any of them. He, he had one zeal, really. And he had a powerful zeal about his life. He had a powerful call on his life. It animated his life. What was that? Is that he was the apostle to whom? The Gentiles. Right? In other words, this truth, this truth right here that we're trying to get a hold of, he was really religious. Paul was super religious. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. His words. Pharisee of the Pharisees, consenting unto the death of Christians. He was all about rounding up Christians and arresting them. 
Some of those Christians he arrested were killed. He was responsible for that. Super religious. He was taught by hardcore teachers in the faith, in the law. Yet somehow, somehow, this revelation became so real to him, it changed his life. And that glory was unleashed in him from it. It got unpacked right in him. And it was a zeal enough that it, it drove him to the ends of the earth with this message. Drove him. And we have reason to believe he went to places. And he went far and wide. And he ended up in Rome. And he even preached to Caesar's household. And members of Caesar's household came to know Jesus. Why? 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 Because the glory was unleashed in him of this truth. And that he spoke to these people, Gentiles. A truth that, that the Jesus in me, there's Jesus in you. I am heirs now with you in Christ. You see, he understood it and that glory just exploded in him. He got it. People not like him. People not like his mom and people not like his grandma. They weren't like his family and they weren't like him. And yet somehow they were co-heirs. Somehow, this, what Jesus did in his life, Jesus did in their life. Somehow. Very different, different people, different circumstances, different whatever. Still the same. Jesus did it. What did he do? Whatever he does. And, and, and that's truth. That's truth. It's not the same that he did for me that he did for you. We don't have the same revelation of Jesus. I don't have the same revelation of Jesus that you have. I don't. We want to cookie cutter it. We want to make it the same. I want, we want you, everybody think the same way about Jesus, but we don't because we've had different revelations of who he is and of his love and of his mercy, of his grace, and he's dealt with us differently. Well, that's not fair. According to who? According to whom? Is that not fair? I'm a person, you're a person. Jesus does what he does. Great thing about being omnipresent is that he can be present in my life, present in your life. At the same time, he can live in my heart and live in your heart. And he may have dealt with me differently than he dealt with you. That's all right. Let the glory unpack in you, though. Let that, let that spring out and unpack. You ever see those little tents or those things that they used to have around all the time where they'd fold up into a circle? You know what I'm talking about? They, they had wire in them, like this flexible wire, and they, they had material on them. And if you threw them down the right way, they'd look like a tent would pop up or something. Or a basket. I could never figure those things out. June is a wizard at them. Yeah, I could never figure them out. I mean, you, you give me those things, and I look at them, I'm like, ah, uh, yeah. Once it's undone, once it's unpacked, there ain't no packing it back. No. I took one to the junkyard the other day because I couldn't pack it back. I just threw it, on, threw it on the back of a truck and put something heavy on it. And was happy to throw it in the dumpster. Couldn't do it. Well, in this case, we don't want to pack it back up. Once that glory springs out in us, let's let it roll. Let's let it ride. And that, that matter of revelation, though, it needs to take place. 
Because what this begins to do in my life, it does what it does for Paul. It animated him. It brought life to him. That's what it did. That's what the glory of God does. You know, I was just reading recently about when they dedicated the temple. And, and I don't know if you've ever read that, but, you know, they sacrificed cows and bulls and sheep and oxen, and, and they, they had music, and then Solomon prayed a big prayer, and at the end of the prayer, did you ever read that prayer? I didn't think it was that exciting. You got to the end of the prayer, it's just me, but I didn't think it was that exciting. Got to the end of the prayer, and then the Bible says the glory of God fell on the whole place. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, you know when things took off at that party? When the glory of God fell on that place. Because you can talk about oxen and cows and bulls and sheep and all the rest of the doves or whatever you want to talk about. You can talk about, you know, people singing and you can talk about uh, a guy getting up and praying. But, you know, when the party began was when the glory of God fell. That was it. And so in our lives... We need that. I need that. But if we're going to live in his glory, we're going to live in a certain amount of revelation in our lives. And I wanted to share this tonight because what I want to do is I want to encourage you toward this revelation. I want to encourage you toward that uh, people not like you, people not like me. I want to encourage you toward a revelation of, of, of Jesus in me, but Jesus in you. I want to encourage you toward a revelation of co-heirs, joint heirs with people that aren't like either one of us. But something happening in our heart, something happening in my heart and in your heart, something happening among us. And let that glory begin to unpack in your life. I, I can only encourage you to this. Because, I mean, you know, we're going to meet and worship, sure. We're going to pray some, sure. We're going to read the Bible, yep. And we're going to hear some teaching, sure. That's what happens. But you know when the party's really going to start? It's when that glory gets unpacked in us and we get brought to life. And we begin to live that life. It's a ground for us to, to walk on it's sure it's certain it's hope for the future you know I mean you start dwelling in that man you live in hope but it's also a spiritual life in the present that God has for us and he wants us to live in that some of us have been in such a dry place for so long I mean I, I would think you probably don't even know what I'm talking about right now I'm hoping you do. I'm hoping you remember a time in your life, some point where you, you had that glory unpacking you and it really animated you. Hopefully it wasn't that long ago. But I believe that's something that God wants to do. I really do. And part of that is us coming along in his vision, coming along in his purposes, coming along in his plan and leaving behind leaving behind all the junk that's just going to hinder us and keep us from being who he wants us to be. You know, I picked on religious people, right? That's all right. They can take it. But let's not be exclusive. 
Let's be inclusive. Let's not be a people, ah, oh, they're not like us. Well, yeah, they're not. Or they're not like me. Yeah, they may not be like me. When some of you came to this church, you noticed right away that I wasn't like you. <laughs> and you stayed anyway. Because there's probably something that spoke to you about that. And, and, and we need to be that with one another and in other people's lives. Yeah, there's lots of people not like us. Don't run away. Don't run away. Don't hide. Don't, don't stay away. I believe, and I really do believe this, that Jesus really is looking to unpack some glory soon. And let's put ourselves in a position for that. All right? Let's do that. Got a couple minutes. Anybody have any questions or comments they'd like to make before we pray? Anyone? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I, I just want to ask you that you just bring some revelation to us tonight. I thank you for the message that Paul is teaching and preaching here, not only to the Colossians, but to the Ephesians. Not only to the Ephesians, but to the Romans. There was a, this revelation that was brought into his life that really brought life to him. It animated him and it set him forth in purpose and in plan for his life. God said, thank you for, for doing that in his life. Thank you for the word that we received because of that. And thank you, God, for the truth that he was able to expound. Not only to the churches then, but to the church now. And so God, I just ask that we would find ourselves laying aside our biases. And laying aside our prejudices. And laying aside our fears. And really taking a hold of your vision. Of your love, of your compassion of your grace, of your acceptance and your mercy. So God, I pray that you'd reveal to us that mystery about Jesus in me and that mystery about Jesus in the person next to me and that mystery about Jesus in that person down the road or in the house next door or in the apartment by us. I I pray, God, that that mystery would be revealed in each of our hearts and each of our minds. That we are co-heirs with people not like us. Joint heirs with, with people that are different and people that don't look like us or act like us. And so, God, I ask you that that as we can begin to allow that revelation to come into us, I just want to say thanks that it's just full of glory. Thanks that it's just, you are just full of glory. This word, this revelation is full of glory. 
And as we can receive it, God, I thank you that you fill us. Fill us with your glory. God, I ask that for some of us, there'd be some dry places that would be made alive again in our hearts and our lives as you fill us with your glory. God, I pray that for, for some of us who've given up, the hope would be rekindled in us as we're made alive and we're filled with your glory. Jesus, joy, where we haven't had any peace, where we've been struggling. As you fill us with your glory. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Thank you, God. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. So God, I thank you for planting a good seed tonight of your word in us. And I pray, God, for that revelation to continue to grow. I pray for your glory to continue to grow. I ask you, God, life. I believe you, God, for life. I believe you, God, for more. So God, manifest, manifest. And I pray, God, our hearts and our minds would change and come into line with you. I give you thanks and praise and honor tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 God bless you, everybody. Thank you for coming tonight. It's good to see you.